the jolt with Larry Flick on Sirius XM OutQ. Some classic music by Ringo Starr. That song was a naughty one for for me when I was a kid. Uh, the no-no song. It's uh, 36, almost 37 minutes past the hour. Friday, old school Friday, July 24th. I'm Larry Flick, and you're listening to The Jolt. Uh, make a note that on Monday, we're going to be joined by Greg Luganis. He's got a new documentary that uh, I actually watched yesterday. It's really good. And uh, Perry Gilpin will be here to talk about her new NBC sitcom, the one that she is doing with Craig Robinson. Uh, right now, Actually, I wonder if Michael Starr has seen that new sitcom. We're going to talk to him about many things uh, during the time we have left this morning. He is a, uh, a journalist, and he is a uh, book writer, and he's got a terrific new autobiography on Ringo Starr. It's called With a Little Help. And first things first, you're not related to Ringo Starr. I am not related. Starr is my real name. Ringo, of course, was born Richard Starkey yeah. in, uh, in Liverpool. But still an interesting coincidence that and you'll be writing this book. I know. People always ask me that. I just say it's a happy coincidence. I mean, I've always been a Beatles fan, mm -hmm. um, and I really felt that Ringo needed his story to be told. He really hasn't had a major biography about him until now. Isn't that odd to you? It's yeah. odd to me, because I was, I was trying to... You know, uh, um, uh, Michael and I were were uh, talking about because we were both. I was I I did what Michael does, which is I used to you know be a print journalist and and uh, so I was searching. I was like, there has to be at least one book about Ringo Starr out there. Well, you know, there was a biography that came out in like nineteen ninety ninety one in England, but uh, but, but it, there isn't. I mean, that was right. yeah, but that's uh, not and and it was a, a little. It, it, it wasn't obviously wasn't comprehensive. I mean, this no, book covers it was Ringo a, up it was until, a terrible book up until his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. So, so, so I mean, why, from your point of view, why? I mean, it's not like he's he's not a compelling guy. It's not like he's not famous enough. I mean, he's part of the most famous group in history. Yeah, you know, it kind of goes along with. Um, because people ask me, the first thing when I told them I was working on this book is, why Ringo? And I just said, you know, well, why not? I mean, he's the world's most, he's the most famous drummer in the world. Mm -hmm. say Ringo, everybody knows who he is. But I think it kind of plays into that whole image of him as, you know, being along for the ride, the lucky one. You know, he came along, he joined the Beatles just as they were about to hit it big. Mm -hmm. He doesn't deserve the acclaim that John, Paul, and George do or did. And I just think it's a, it's a bunch of BS because, um, you know, obviously he was a very uh, talented drummer. He was the most famous drummer in Liverpool before he joined the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I think what people seem to forget or don't know maybe, and hopefully they will if they read the book, is um, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and George Harrison were convinced they were going to make it big. These were three guys who were motivated to make it big. And when they fired their previous drummer, Pete Best, they knew they had to go out and get the best drummer around. They weren't just going to fart around and get some guy, you know, who right. couldn't hold down a backbeat because they were about to make their first record. Yeah. Who did they get? Ringo Starr. Yeah. Who they already knew from playing in, with Ringo when he was with Rory Storm. They played in, together in Hamburg, Germany. And the thing about Ringo Starr is that he his his talent has always been uh, well. He's always uh, uh, revealed his talent in a in a more restrained way than I my from my point of view. I think he always. Just he was just he was a, uh, a strong but subtle drummer, uh, right. and 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 I think his his music you know post Beatles has been 
you know, sometimes very silly, which people, <laughs> but, but I also think, uh, a song like No No Song, which I said, you know, coming out of it was like a naughty song when I was a right. kid. As an adult, I see how, how subversive and how actually very pointed that song is. And, he had a lot of those types of songs. Yeah, actually, was, uh, sorry, Larry. Didn't yeah, please. Also, actually, how prophetic it is. He says in the song, "I'm tired of waking up on the floor." Well, about ten years after that, he went into rehab yes. because that's what he was doing through the '70s and yes. the '80s. Was post Beatles was basically drinking and partying and cutting the occasional album or the occasional single. Um, but yes, I mean, he was unlike John Lennon, who we all know was very outspoken, very well educated. Paul McCartney, who was very outspoken. George, maybe not so much. I think internally, George Harrison within the band was very outspoken and had his opinions. Mm-hmm. Ringo was sort of the amiable guy who got along with everybody. Um, didn't express his opinions publicly about the Vietnam War or whatever was going on at the time in England or in the U.S., as did John Lennon and as did Paul McCartney. So I think people don't really think of him in that sense as, as this, you know, brilliant outspoken guy. Now, I'm not saying he's brilliant. I'm just saying that he did have a lot to offer. And but I think he knew his 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 place uh, it sounds weird. He knew how he fit in with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. John Lennon once said, ask him if Ringo was a good drummer, he said Ringo's a good Beatle. I mean, he just fit right in. He knew all three of these guys before he joined from Liverpool, from Hamburg. Um, he had that scouse, the very Liverpoolian sharp sense of humor. And I just think he he was the perfect complement to to Lennon, McCartney, and George Harrison. And one other thing I want to mention, because before I forget, is people, and I mentioned this in the introduction in the book, it's one of those barroom arguments you always hear, well, you know, they would have been a lot better if they had Keith Moon or John Bonham or, well, you know, you can't change history. Ringo came along at that point in time, and he was the perfect drummer for that group. Well, he also, I mean... I've heard. I mean, I've I've sat at tables where that argument has unfolded, and, and I've always thought, and I've always said, the Beatles didn't need what John Bonham did or right. what Keith Moon exactly. did. They exactly. didn't need that. They needed their music was a little bit more subtle, a little bit more universal, and uh, you know, yeah, they needed a steady backbeat. He wasn't flat. He he would be the first to tell you he's not technically a great drummer, but he plays with his heart and his soul, and he's got the feel, what they called the Liverpool beat back mm-hmm. then. I mean, yeah. he, he was perfect for that. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because you hear people talk about, the, you know, slagging off Ringo and his abilities, but you never hear anybody say, well, George Harrison, they could, what if, how much, how better would they have been if Eric Clapton was their lead guitarist? Or, you know, people don't really say anything about Paul McCartney because his bass playing was phenomenal. But, yeah. Or, but they don't single out John Lennon for his rhythm guitar, but. Then again, Ringo wasn't writing these brilliant songs as the other three were. So I think it's, it's there's always yeah. a little more focus on his musical ability. But you know what's interesting also about Ringo Starr is that post-Beatles, he has not been obsessed with proving his creative skill. He's just been, he always seems to have had, and I got this while reading your book as well, just a very healthy relationship with the idea of who he is. You know, he's always had a healthy relationship with what fame was going to be about before it happened, what it could be, what it turned out to be, what his role, you know. He's one of those guys who, as you said, knew his place. And I don't mean that in a way of like, you know, stay behind the scenes, right. but but he knew that that wasn't his job. His job was this. And 
you can't have five chefs, <laughs> right? Because the result tastes like shit. So you need, you need, you know, you need someone who knows how to do a little bit of each, you know, their thing very, very well. And as I said, I don't, I don't really feel like he's been obsessed with proving right. that he had his equivalent to imagine inside him. He seems to have just enjoyed right the ride. And ironically, he was really the first ex Beatle to have a big number one hit. I I he had a string of hits, to, which you just played before, the No-No song, It Don't Come Easy, which is my personal favorite. Yeah, mine too. Um, the photograph. And was able to work, because of his place in the band as sort of the peacekeeper, was able to work with John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and George Harrison as a solo act. Mm. They, all, they all chipped in with a little help, and they, they, they loved him like a brother. I think the feeling was mutual. And when, when you talk, you just mentioned before about... Um, doing his job, and especially in the studio. Like, there's a, an author named Mark Lewis, a Beatles expert, and I think he once pointed out that out of all the, what they call them, fluffs, and all the all the outtakes in the studio, people making mistakes, Ringo was like the one who never made a mistake. I mean, he made the occasional mistake, but out of the other, out of all four Beatles, he was the one who screwed up the least in the studio because he just, he, he knew what he had to do, and he did it. Um, Very interesting. And again, it's it's drumming, so maybe it's a different kind of, screw up than it would be if you're playing a guitar riff I, I don't know I think I think if, if a drum riff if a, if a drum drum roll line don't know the right word uh, falls off drum the whole pattern. Yeah, exactly, it all falls apart right the whole song falls apart you can't suddenly turn that into an artful moment so. right and when John Lennon was cutting his last solo album before he was assassinated there's an, an, an outtake of him saying to the drummer just, just play like Ringo you know he's getting all angry just yeah. keep the beat play it like Ringo would have played yeah. and uh I think that says a lot. It does indeed. That's Michael Starr joining us here in The Jolt. It's uh, about 14 before the hour. His book is called Ringo with a Little Help. It's a really interesting read. Um, so as you're, as you're immersing yourself into Ringo's world, um, how does your view of the music change? It has to change. <laughs> it changes you know, when when you when you write a book about somebody's life and in their entire life, yeah. and you go back and you look at their childhood, not so much in a psychological way, but Ringo, back then Richie Richie Starkey, didn't really start to play the drums until he was twelve. I mean, it wasn't the kind of thing where he comes out of the womb and he's you know, he once he turned twelve and he was in the hospital for two years, he had tuberculosis. That's when he really f discovered his muse and discovered that he had this ability to, to keep a beat. Um, I was lucky enough to, to track down uh, a kid who was in the hospital with him at the time and shared a story of how they used to play what they called bobbins, which held cotton, plastic bobbins, and they would play on, the, on their lockers and on their, on, on their beds. Right. But I, I think in that sense, and then seeing how he played with Rory Storm and hearing how he played with Rory Storm and how that might have influenced the other three Beatles to say, we got to get this guy into the band, and then evolving with the other three as their music went from two-minute pop love songs to three- and four-minute songs about whatever, drugs or, you know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds or Rain, which was Ringo's personal favorite as a Beatle. I think he did evolve in music. Uh, he did evolve with the rest of the uh, Beatles musically and adapted to the studio as they, as they stopped playing live and spent more and more time. Do you, find, do you find that um, uh, he's found creative satisfaction through what he's been doing uh, to me uh, 
it seems that his his love is always on stage. I guess I, I think about those those beautiful mega tours that he's done over the years. Right, the All Star Band. They're so much fun. Mm-hmm. Have you? Ever, I mean, have you? Yeah, ever been I've to seen one? them. Yeah, uh-huh. they're uh, just incredible fun, and they're just a music lovers feast you just leave like exhausted but you've been eating you know great thanksgiving meal it's so yummy um do you think he's he's fulfilled i think he is i don't think he always was that way um i think it took a couple decades of as we alluded to before of you know partying and 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 slacking off musically not getting a lot done putting all his energies into into alcohol and Mm. other substances and carousing with Keith Moon and, and Harry Nilsson, who was a, a very dear friend of his. But I think once he and Barbara Bach, his wife, went into rehab and cleaned themselves up, that's when he started uh, doing the All-Star Band. It was a, a guy named David Fishoff, a friend of mine who's in the book, who organized this, was his idea. And once Ringo discovered that the people, the crowds loved him, and he could go out and, and play with other musicians, didn't have to carry the whole show himself, could be out front singing, not having not having to worry about singing and playing the drums at the same time. He still does, but not every song. I think he discovered that there was a lot of love for him out there that he might have thought what didn't exist. Mm. And I think it helped him become more comfortable with himself. And you know, he's he just turned seventy five, and he's sort of an elder statesman now. It's so funny to to when you think about the Beatles, you think about the surviving Beatles. Um, I never think of Paul McCartney first because to me Paul McCartney has become this separate entity. I think of Ringo first, and 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 I wonder how, uh, in in your research, if he's even aware of that. That that I, I'm certain that I'm, uh, my thoughts are common. That people, when they think about the Beatles and they think about what what has survived, you think of, you start with Ringo. I do too. Although I, Ringo, there was a quote. Ringo and Paul McCartney have had a very complicated relationship, as yeah. you might imagine, yeah. uh, from not only what they went through in the '60s with as Beatles starting there, but after the band broke up. You know, as most music fans know or Beatles fans know, there was lawsuits back and still are lawsuits back and forth, and who owns the rights to what music and Apple Core and all that kind of stuff. But they have a very complicated relationship. Ringo said recently that Paul thinks he's the only Beatle. So actually, in his mind, maybe he still feels that he's being overshadowed. I think he always still had, in the background. I think he always had that problem, particularly with with Paul McCartney. And if you read, if people read the book, and there are lots of quotes from McCartney in there. I didn't speak to him personally. I couldn't get him for an interview, but sourced quotes. Sure. And if you read between the lines, he always did, and I think he still does to win a very condescending attitude towards Ringo. It's unfortunate. Even though Ringo's two years older, and, but, you know. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because I, I, I noticed that in the book, and I, I, I remain an enormous fan of Paul McCartney's, but I, that bums me out. It, because because I, don't, I don't think you have the Beatles without each of the four. I don't know that right. I believe the Beatles would have happened with Pete Best. Yeah. I just, I, chemistry is this this magical thing that draws people in. We were talking earlier about what constitutes a hit. Well, you can quantify a full list, but then there's always that sprinkle of dust, right? That you, if you knew the recipe to, you would 
be the f- most wealthy person on the planet. Right, and a lot of people think that these sorts of situations where, for instance, Ringo joining the group last, karmically is not an accident. Like, it was meant to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not John, Paul, George, and Fred. It's not you know, <laughs> it's not John, Paul, George, and, and Pete. It yeah, was. It, it was for several years. I know, years. but obviously that wasn't that wasn't right. going to work. It wasn't and, going to work, and I think when the Beatles, especially, um, I talk about this in the book a little bit. When the Beatles first came to the U.S. in February of 1964, Ringo was considered the most popular Beatle because U.S. fans, for the most part, didn't know all that backstory. As the British fans did, when when Ringo first joined, it was, you know, Ringo never, Pete Best forever, or Ringo forever, Pete Best never. Mm. It faded away after a little bit, but all the American fans knew were John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Mm. And and if you watch that clip uh, of the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, excuse me, mm-hmm. <clears throat> for the first time, when they, when they, February 9th of 1964, and the camera cuts to each individual Beatle introducing them to, Ameri- to the American audience, Ringo gets the most applause. The first time, when when the camera, you know, he's, he's on it, and it's, it's the little graphic comes up, mm-hmm. Ringo. He was the funny one. He had a he had a, a funny looking nose. He had a funny stage name that people could identify with. Not to say that George, George Paul, and John didn't have their ardent fans, because of course they did. Right. I think all four of them did. But it's interesting to me, and one of the things I learned in doing the book was that when the Beatles did first come to America, Ringo was the most popular Beatle. That's fascinating. Cher, Cut a song when she wasn't known as Cher back then. It's called Ringo, I Love You. Uh, it's in the right. book, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So funny. It's true. The thing about Ringo is that he, in in a lot of ways, represents the regular person. Right, the common man. and, and who, he, get, who gets a shot and doesn't blow it. Exactly. And and that's a very good point, and which leads me to say that when he, you know, John Lennon passed himself off as a working class hero, I think is the name of one of his albums. Mm-hmm. Lennon had a really middle-class upbringing, as did Paul McCartney, as did George Harrison. Yeah, yeah. With siblings later on in, in, Lennon's, in, in Lennon's case. Yeah. <clears throat> Ringo was really the one who was lower, lower, lower. I don't even know if it would call, be called middle-class. I mean, he wasn't walking around in rags, but he grew up in the Dingle, which was the toughest part of Liverpool. Yeah. Street gangs, which he was in. Um Secondhand clothes. He did come from his his mother worked two or three jobs to keep a roof over his head and food on the table. He wasn't growing up destitute, but it was really just he and his mother, um, and he was very ill for for several years. That added to it. So he was really the working class hero. If 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 you think about it, he came from yeah. nothing. Yeah, there's a lot of really great great information about Ringo Starr in this book that you that you just never knew. No matter how big a fan you are, and that's what makes the book so much fun, y'all. Uh, Michael Starr, thanks for coming to see us. Thanks, Larry. It was really a pleasure, a pleasure to see you. Pleasure. The book is called Ringo with a Little Help. It is an amazing read and um, and a great a great insight and and peek into the world of uh, someone changed to help change the world forever. Yeah. Well, thank you all for visiting with us today. Uh, hopefully, you have uh, you're going to have a great Friday and a good weekend. We will see you first thing Monday morning. Take good care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs>